0: Welcome to Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation. In this program, Marty discusses waterfowl and upland bird hunting, as well as the clay target shooting sports, with some of the top industry leaders and shooting pros from around the world. If you're just starting out, or you've been hunting and shooting for years, we'll have wing and clay target news and information that you can use. Now, here is your host, Marty Fisher.
1: And welcome to a wonderful, wonderful November November day, you know, my, my favorite time of the year, you know, we're getting closer and closer to, um, to Thanksgiving and, uh, you know, the hunting seasons are wide open. There's still people out shooting clays. I mean, heck down in, uh, you know, uh, not too far from me at my gun club in Savannah, Georgia, they've got the, um, uh, they've got the Georgia, Georgia independent schools. Uh, they the private schools have got their state clay target championship going on this week and uh there will be almost 500 kids there and boy what uh you know that that makes me feel really good to know that uh that these kids in high school and junior high school are getting introduced to the shooting sports in the right way and you know there's just so much going on in uh, in november and and uh, uh wow i mean uh let's see uh next week uh the 84th world duck calling championships going off in stuttgart arkansas i uh I've been lucky I've uh, participated in that thing uh, five different times you know uh, made the top 10 three times made the top five uh, really enjoyed it well this year uh, now that I'm pretty much retired from contest calling they they call and ask me to be a judge uh, be a judge for the second time so I'm looking forward to going to the Wings Over the Prairie Festival and going by and see my buddies at Max Prairie Wings and uh, just enjoying what that town has has got going. Uh, you know, I was um, earlier this week. I was over in uh, Middleton, Tennessee, uh, near Grand Junction, where the National Bird Dog Trials are held uh, every year. And uh, over at Ames Plantation, I'm actually building a shooting club there. It's going to be called Lone Oak Club uh, Lone Oak Clays. It's being built for the University of Tennessee. Uh, in conjunction with the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency, and uh, they're using a bunch of the Pittman-Robertson money that uh, Tennessee gets. We uh, we had talked about Pittman-Robertson money earlier, uh, uh, in in shows, and uh, you know it's just it's 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 a great thing because it's your it's your tax dollars that are going to to the right place. Tax dollars meaning taxes on hunting and shooting equipment uh, that is actually put in a fund that the General account can't access, so this money actually goes to the states to be used. Uh, I know in Georgia, uh, the Pittman-Robertson money actually funds all of our hunter safety program. But uh, in Tennessee, they're they're uh, doing that, plus they're spending some money on some shooting facilities. Um, quail season is wide open down here in the South. Uh, I was at Mill Pond Plantation over in Thomasville, Georgia. It's a private place. Uh, They've been hunting. Uh, just got got their wild quail season uh, going, and they're uh, we're averaging about five wild cubbies an hour, which is, is remarkable. I built a sporting clays course there, and uh, it's a great, great place. Uh, Talked to another buddy of mine uh, who down in that area, down in Albany, Georgia. The, you know, the they say the quail capital of the world. Uh, Twenty-one wild cubbies in a half-day hunt. That's uh, that's pretty pretty darn remarkable, but. Uh, you know, there's there's so much going on, but let me tell you what's really going on. I have got a remarkable guest this week. Uh, I met this gentleman through a friend, a mutual friend, uh, Dr. Gary Capaletti out in uh, in California. I, I get the opportunity to go out and and hunt with Dr. Capaletti from time to time at at uh, at his private uh, duck club, uh, you know, up uh, in the Southern Sassoon Marsh. Uh, in in northern California and um, uh, my guest this week is a, a gentleman by the name of Tom roster and now Tom roster is um He's a really intriguing guy, and if I sit here and I and I, and I really went through all of the things that this guy has done, it would take up the entire show. So we're we're not uh, <clears throat> we're not going to allow that to happen by any stretch of the imagination. Because I want to, I want to get Tom on board, and and I'll let Tom tell you a little bit about uh, about himself, and then we'll get into some nuts and bolts of shot shell ballistics. You know, and every one of us, you know, all of us, whether we're a clay shooter. An upland hunter, a waterfowler—it really doesn't matter. We are really into the shotgun shells that we buy. You know, that's something that uh, we're all intrigued by. It. We all argue about it. We, you know, we, we, we almost get to the point of blows sometimes because, you know, this one is better than that one. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm bringing a guy on right now that will dispel a whole bunch of those myths that are floating around out there, and we're going to get some real facts. Tom Roster, welcome to Weeney Clay Nation, buddy. Glad to have you.
2: Thank you, Artie. Glad, glad to do it for you.
1: Well, listen, this is uh, this is just going to be remarkable because just in in a few conversations that you and I have had over over the past couple of years, I'm always intrigued by the the just the very concise information that you can put out there, and a lot of that information, yeah, well, I say a lot of it, it comes from. Been there, done that. So, uh, Tom, tell us, tell us just a little bit about about Tom Roster. I mean, you know, you, you're an independent ballistics consultant. You're an author. Uh, you, what you do is not what everybody does. So, uh, how did you get started? Just give, give us a little background, if you would.
2: make a long story short, I got started on all of this, and basically what I am is an independent researcher and uh, on shot shell performance and shotgun equipment. And I got started on it way back in about the mid-60s. And that's about when uh, Steel Shot was heating up. Mm -hmm. And I was a professor at Oregon Institute of Technology. And the Department of the Interior came there and contracted with the university to run a uh, shooting test on medium-sized geese, which would be white fronts and snow geese. Right, in such a way that it would be a double-blind experiment, so that neither the hunters doing the shooting nor the uh, trained observers that would accompany them would know what they're shooting, and that there would be uh, the whoever analyzed the data would not know what the loads were, and uh, so there'd be no way anybody could rig this thing because the big arguments back then was that seal shot was horribly inferior and would cripple more things than it would kill, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that was the fir- I got the job of designing and running that test, and it took place at a place called Tooley Lake, California, which is about ten miles—actually, well, about fifteen miles south of where I live in Klamath Falls, Oregon. And so we ran that test, and of course, when I ran it, my bias was that uh, there's no way that the steel loads were going to test. There were three steel loads. There were two and three quarter inch 20, uh, twelve gauge, and they were BB steel. Two steel and four steel would ever do as good as a two and three quarter inch ounce and a half lead BBs, twos and fours. Mm -hmm. So that was my bias, and uh, we ran the test, and it took two years. And uh, when it was done, there were uh, I don't remember the exact numbers, but there were many thousands of geese killed, many tens of thousands of rounds of ammunition shot and the bottom line of the data where we could not measure any difference in wounding uh, between the lead loads tested and the steel loads tested. Uh, so since it was run in such a way that nobody could rig it, uh, that really opened up my eyes. And I remember that <laughs> the, the man I answered to at the university said, so let that be a lesson to you, young man. Never form your opinions before you gather your data. And... um what we did find was that uh, one of the steel loads did better than the rest of them. It was the number two steel load. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the lead loads did better than the other lead loads, which was the number four lead load, interestingly enough.
3: Uh-huh.
2: So that was the first test I ever did. And then to save a lot of time here, I went on to run uh, many, many more of those kinds of tests all over the country on ducks and Canada geese, and then later on pheasants. And my latest one was on, uh, t- on um, doves down in the state of Texas, all the same kind of double-blind experiments with hunters doing the shooting. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, being involved in all those tests, I have all of these data to draw on about hunter performance and load performance and patterning performance of those hunting loads. And um, it's the largest database ever amassed on shot-shell performance, really, in the history of the world. So I feel very fortunate to have been involved in that. And then I went on to do independent research for for ammo companies like uh, Federal, the Buffered Lead Loads, you remember back then, the uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> what do they call them, Premium, that was the name right. they came up with. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. That was my work. And then I did work for Winchester, mainly on steel shot load development, and then went to Remington and did work for them on steel shot load development, and uh, I did those contracts, were 20- and 30-year contracts. So I've I've worked closely with the industry also and tested lead target loads, both for them and for myself, and so that's my background, and I don't have any bias anymore about uh, what kind of shot Type is going to be the best, except what the data shows. I don't really care what hunters shoot. I just want them to know what the data show. The most effective loads, shot sizes, chokes, etc., are from the database we've amassed.
1: Well, and and I'm going to tell you <clears throat> that is a. That's a big part of why you are on this show, my friend, because you know you're. When you say independent, you know you're independent of a thought process too, because you've learned you better be. Because sometimes the data that you think you're going to get is not what you actually get. So that's right. Uh, so you know we're we're going to talk a little bit about clay loads. We're going to talk you know a, a lot about hunting loads, uh, probably more so than anything, because I know in recent years, your real focus has been on the on the non-toxic stuff and you know all of the new non-toxics that are coming out too i mean it's you know when, when we first got started it was steel that was it i mean i i can remember distinctly the first time i ever started shooting steel you know back in the back in the 70s early 70s well when you had to you know, cause, because one thing Marty didn't do, I I was at uh, back then. I was a federal a three inch federal premium ounce and seven eight <laughs> 4 that would just stomp you like you can't believe. But they hit I, pretty I hard it, on I the know other to end. You.
2: Unknown yeah. to you, another Tom Roster Lord. That's what that was. That's right. <laughs> well, I I can promise you
1: I bought a lot of them and uh and they hit hard on the other end too. Now they pop popped me pretty good. But you know, when we had to start using steel, you know, and I would, I I had the same the same bias that, that you oh, okay. And, and and a lot of that, uh if you remember early on, I mean it was like 1,500 and 1,550 feet per second or something like that. And, and I think early on they had some issues with, with, with the wads and trying to get things balanced exactly right. And, and of course, everybody said, oh, they're going to blow the barrels up. And, and a lot of that was those really big pellets more than anything else. I remember they, you know, they kind of did away with the F shot. You know, did you ever shoot any of that stuff?
2: Oh, yeah, I did a lot of testing on that. But that, that was gotten rid of not so much because of uh, barrel damage, but because of wounding losses. Mm -hmm. So that was a steel load pellet size that proved to give, when shot at long range, no matter what load you use, high wounding rates. So many of the state agencies lobbied the ammo companies to stop producing size F steel. And Mm -hmm. to their their, uh, credit, uh, they all did, except maybe Federal hung on for a while. But I don't even know that they make it anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I, I've actually, I, you know, and I looked in, in one of my storage uh, bins that I've got, uh, you know, one of these locking storage things that I've got stuff that I probably need to get rid of and quit spending the money to store it. Uh, I've got four or five boxes of three and a half inch Federal Tees, you know, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really have any use for those anymore. Uh, but, no. you know, they, they, they exist in the old box, you know, the, the old light colored box. But right. uh, uh, you know, and, and now in in getting into all of this and in and, and really doing the, the the focusing that you did on all of these different loads, I mean, let, let's kind of let's kind of break it down. We you know we we we've got a couple of breaks here in the show, but you know we're just we're just going to talk about things, and then I've got some questions that some of my listeners have sent in that that, uh, that kind of focus on things that they want to talk about. But yeah, certainly, um, you know you. Uh, lead loads. Uh, tell me a little bit about lead. I mean, you made a comment to me the other day uh, that kind of made me raise my eyes a little bit, where it said, you know, the lead we're getting today is kind of crap compared to what it used to be. What, what are you talking about there?
2: Well, here's the deal. Uh, see, lead is all we ever knew for like 300 years of shotgunning. So this is why we still have all these biases. And, um, and then it's, it, other things other than lead never crept into shotgunning. Until starting in the late 70s, late sixties and the seventies, so we only had other options for about forty years now. So during that time, lead was getting better developed in this sense that lead is a great material because it has high density, but it's got weaknesses in that it's soft. Its another strength of it is it's cheap, and it's cheap to make into a pellet. It's not so cheap anymore now. The the, uh, raw material of lead has gone way up because of all Mm -hmm. the batteries uh, being used in automobiles in China and India and all those expanding economies now. That's the biggest source of the use of lead on the planet is batteries. So now lead is much more expensive than it used to be. Which uh, which is why a steel load today doesn't cost a manufacturer any more to manufacture than a lead load, comparable amount of shot in the shell. Uh-huh. So here we've got lead, and it's nice and dense, which is great for lethality. And unfortunately, it's soft, so it is very easy to deform. And if you're going to have a round projectile, which is the shape we seem to have settled on, because it's so easy to make. Um, you want it to be as round as you can get it coming out of that barrel. So even though we may form it round, in uh, certain shot towers do better jobs than others, but even if we may form it round, you've got to protect it in the shell to get it as round as you can keep it coming out. And one of the ways you do that is by adding antimony to the shot. And the higher mm-hmm. the antimony level... The harder it is, the more resistant it is to deformation. The second thing you got to do is cushion it well, which is the cushioning section in the wad column, and you've got to protect the outer pellets in the shot from contact in the inside of the barrel, which is what the the shot cup or shot sleeve does. Mm-hmm. You've got to do all those things to lead, and then if you really want it to be good, you've got to add a buffer to take up the air spaces between the pellets so they can't deform into those air spaces. So you gotta do about four things to keep it round to get it out of the barrel. And what they, they haven't cut back in recent years on the quality of the wads or the quality of the cushioning unless you're getting these really big heavy loads jammed into these shells. Then, mm-hmm. then your cushioning suffers. But well, other than that, what's suffering now is the amount of antimony that's being added to lead. And antimony is a very expensive uh, agent uh, or alloy, if you will, to put into a pellet. So, in a box of your lead target loads, uh, 50 cents of the cost of that box is just antimony, that mm-hmm. we're talking 25 shells. And that's a low antimony level. If we're talking a high antimony level, which is even a better pellet, you're looking at a dollar expense to the manufacturer. For that box of shells. So, if you're going to sell a box of shells for five bucks, which is what they did for years until just recently, now the same five dollar box of lead shells sells for about seven, eight bucks maybe, you've got a big expense in antimony. That was okay until we started getting all these import shells from Spain and Italy and so forth. And then they came over here. And they have low antimony lead, not high antimony lead. they got low antimony lead. So they could come over here and sell their shells lower. One of the reasons is because they had less antimony cost in their pellets. And, uh, you know, there's other factors. But because of all that competition, how much? It used to be only three ammo companies in our country selling shells back in the 70s, 80s, 90s. Now there's 13 companies, not all located in America, but there's way more than three anymore. Plus the imports, you've got 13 companies selling lead loads and now steel loads and other loads in our country. So you've got all that competition. So the profitability of making uh, shot-shell ammo has gone way down. This is like razor-thin margins nowadays as we speak. And so cutting anemone become important. So if you're going to be Mr. Clay Target Shooter, let's say, and you're a serious clay target shooter, and you're going to be, a, uh, let's say, your most challenging clay targets that I can tell would be uh, long-range sporting clay stations and also long-range 27-yard line trap shooting. If you're going to shoot those games well. You've got to have round, hard shot coming out of that barrel for good patterns. You want 6% antimony in your seven and a halves. That would be mm-hmm. the most common pellet that would do the best job at long range on a clay target. Long range to me is anytime on a clay target you get it beyond 50 yards, you're talking serious long range. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, who's got 6% antimony anymore? <laughs> the answer yeah, is well, yeah. no, no one except. Remington in their STS in that uh Nitro 27 load, Federal in their Gold Medal, uh Winchester in their Double A, and if you can still find it, you're a reloader, uh Remington STS bagged lead shot. And everything else is less than
1: 6%. Well, now, uh instance, you know, and and you know, I mean, a lot of folks may not know the difference in shot. You know, you've got chill shot, which is just as soft as it can be, and that's typically the least expensive. Then you've got the magnum shot, uh, which is, is, is marketed out there, and the magnum shot is going to have a certain percentage of, of antimony. Uh, do, you, do you know you know what, what that is, Tom? I'm not sure what the antimony content is now in magnum.
2: Stock. Well, it used to be that something called magnum shot, if you were a reloader or hand loader, um, had 6% antimony in it,
3: mm-hmm. and it
2: even said 6% antimony on the bag. If you were a student of shot anymore, you would see that over the last six years, these percent antimony words have slowly and, and steadily disappeared from the bags of shot. You don't see them on there anymore at all. Now they got words like mm-hmm. hard shot, or high antimony shot, or antimonied shot, whatever that means,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, none of them are telling you anymore how much, what the percent really is of the antimony in the shot in those bags. The same thing's happening on your factory lead loads. Used to be able to buy uh, double A's and those, and they were real up up front, said six percent antimony. Um, they may not say six percent antimony on those three that I listed for you. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee you that when I test it, there's still 6% antimony in those high-end Winchester-Remington-Federal target loads. But all Mm -hmm. the rest are lower antimony, So they're fine if you're doing close range. I call that 30 yards or less shooting at clays. Or maybe, maybe out to 40 yards, maybe. Uh, But after that, if you're not buying loads with real 6% antimony lead in it, your patterns are definitely suffering.:
1: Well, and, and the suffering comes and, and you know for those who don't know, the suffering comes and, and you can elaborate on this, you know you get pellet deformation because it's soft and, and, and flat spotted lead is not flying straight.
2: That's right well that's the whole bottom line. You've cut the anemone so you've cut the key thing you need to do to keep the pellets round when they come out of that barrel. The harder they are, the less they flatten. When the shell goes off, they're being crushed against each other because they're going from zero foot seconds to 1,200 or more in a you know just a couple feet. So they're really being accelerated like mad, and unless mm-hmm. they're they're quite hard, they're going to flatten. That's the first place they get deformed, and the biggest place they get deformed. So that antimony is a key to really good lead shot. Wow,
1: well, that and that's <clears throat> that's real, and that's something you know most people don't think about that because they. You know, and you're right. I mean, so many, so many people um, are uh, price conscious. Uh, You know, they if I can buy a five dollar box of shells, why wouldn't I do that? If I can, if I can get them for four twenty a box, you know, as opposed to seven dollars a box, uh, why wouldn't I do that? And I, and I think a lot of a lot of guys. You know, really need to think about that. You know, because uh, yeah. it it really is all about performance. I mean, let's face it. I mean, you can you can put the gun in the right place and still not break the target.
2: Yep. And I'm going to tell you something. That guy you mentioned earlier, there, Dr. Cappelletti, This is a smart guy. This is a guy who thinks about the technology all the time. He's always adapting. Mm-hmm. And one day we're talking on the phone here, actually, quite recently, and he said, "Yeah, well, what do you think is the most important thing about these?" About this shotgun, and I said, Well, it's just like fishing. You were always, you did a lot of fishing there, and very good fishermen. And what's the most important thing in fishing? It's your terminal tackle, it's mm-hmm. the quality of those hooks, the, the kind of lure you hang on the end of that line, the way you move that lure, the bait you put on that hook. That's what counts. You can get away with a lot of different rods, and you can get away with a lot of different boats and motors. But the terminal tackle is what separates the men from the boys in fishing success. Whereas in shotgunning, a lot of these guys, in shotgunning, your terminal tackle is the shells that you load in your gun. That's the most important thing in shotgunning, is the loads and understanding how they work and what they work best for and not work well for. And what a lot of guys are doing is they're going, oh, this is cheaper than that, so I'll just buy this. And then you ask them, well, do you think it'll pattern as well as a more expensive load? Well, I don't know. The first reason is because they don't pattern test. They don't take the time to pattern test anymore. Right. Less mm-hmm. and less of that is going on. And mm-hmm. secondly, well, I'll just buy this such-and-such such choke tube. That'll take care of it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something. That's
1: still you no
2: test. You could put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. Mm -hmm. And so, if you have a low-quality lead load, I don't care whose choke tube you're running it through, it's not going to pattern as well and perform as well as a high-quality lead load through that choke tube. So you can't save yourself by buying cheap ammo, but what you think is a good choke tube, that's not going to cut it.
1: Well, and and that's... and, and that's not to say that they're not all good choke tubes but you know you no, realistically that at all. yeah no, what you got to do is like you just said why don't you test it you know let's find find out what what the actual performance is you know and 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 so often and i and I, I, i'm i'm going to tell you I'm, I'm guilty of this i i intentionally sometimes walk through the ammo department at at sporting goods stores, I mean, sometimes you know, I, I you know, God forbid, I, I walk into Walmart and guys over there talking about buying ammo. and it scares me to death, what comes out of their mouth sometimes, because I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, they they really don't know, you know, and everything's I, I, well, all I see, off hearsay. You know, if you're buying ammo from
2: one of those mass marketing stores, uh, you know, those those personnel in sporting goods are not being trained in these kind of details. Right. Okay. And so there would be a rare guy behind the counter that would have really gone out and ever pattern tested ammo and be able to give an answer based on his own testing. That would be like a super rare person. So our shotgunners are not getting very good information. And the only other information they get is, is advertising <clears throat> or some, some guy writes an article, but he never tested it either. He just, mm-hmm. he just repeats the advertiser claims. And the only way to know in this business is you've got to be willing to take that load and that choke tube and go pattern test it at the, at the distance you think is most important to your shooting situation.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That is going to give you the unvarnished, unbiased facts about how that load is going to perform and which one is patterning better and therefore more deadly than this one over here or this load over there. That's the only way to do it, and that takes a little bit of time, not a lot, but for that little bit of time, you've learned a ton of info.
1: Well, and it's it's time well invested. Now, Tom, we're up on a break. I need to take that, and when we come back, we're going to pick up on this, and then we're going we're going to talk a little bit about performance and all of that kind of stuff. We're going to get into into talking about the hunting loads and things of that nature. We're going to get some questions answered, folks. Stay tuned, Tom Roster, and I will be back after these messages. <laughs>
0: tuned into marty fisher's wing and clay nation if you have a question or comment about the show we're here via email wing and radio at gmail.com that's wing and clay radio at gmail.com now let's get back to this week's show
1: and welcome back! And uh, boy, I am having a remarkable conversation with a lot of great information with uh, with Tom Roster. I, I I've got a I, I'm going to have to come up with a name for this guy, like the ballistics guru or something like that, because uh, we're getting ready to get into some real nuts and bolts here that that, that I think you guys are going to love. But hey, if you're a social media guy, WingandClayRadio.com is our website. Uh, we've got a facebook.com slash wing and clay radio on twitter it's twitter.com slash wing clay nation instagram it's instagram.com slash wing and clay radio uh can't jump back into tom without telling everybody you know this this portion of the show uh the first portion of the show and we kind of skipped right by it brought to you by my good friends at the crushable vault you know and i got a message from those folks uh earlier today they have got a special going on uh, on the website you can get up to a hundred dollars off of uh, purchases on their website uh, up until January 2nd so well, you know what a great Christmas present and if you don't know what the crushable vault is you know it's a it's actually a soft-sided case that you that covers your Uh, Your gun cases, you can put a couple of of, uh, standard gun cases in there, uh, you know, up to up to three guns, something like that. And uh, uh, but what they do is they've got a locking cable system that will actually allow you to lock your guns in the back of your pickup truck, in the back of your SUV, in in your car, to any solid locking point. They've got that cable system that locks in there, and they will not be taken by any petty thief, I can tell you that. Uh, About the only chance those guys would have would be if they showed up with the jaws of life, and uh, that's not going to be the case. So if you want to protect your guns and get a great deal right now, crushablevault.com go check them out I think you'll like what you see and um, and I can promise you uh, they're well worth the investment that's what I use and I don't worry anymore when I take my guns in my pickup truck I just jump out and go into the bathroom or whatever and I'm not worried about them being taken crushablevault.com okay let me get back to Tom roster Tom we were <clears throat> we were talking in our in our first part of the show. About a lot of things, uh, but the one thing that that uh, that that you do is probably more than than anybody is you are all about shot shell performance and the performance that that guys are looking for. You know, nowadays, uh, you know, in sporting clays, all of a sudden the, the 40 yard shot is a close one. You know, it's not a long one. They, I mean, they've all of a sudden started stepping these things out 50, 60, 70 yards. Same thing with the, with the waterfowl hunters. I mean, those guys, you know, they want to. It's not how far, how 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 close can you get one. It's how far can you shoot one. Well, things happen with pellets when they come out of the gun. So let let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about muzzle velocity and the downrange velocity. How does it change as it goes away from the gun? Uh, How about pellet drop? How about wind deflection? I mean, you've got all sorts of things that go on once those pellets come out of the gun. So let's talk about that a little bit.
2: Okay. Uh, Before we do, I just want to make sure now on these uh, import lead loads for target shooting. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. they're low antimony. I'm saying they're like medium, medium antimony. Mm -hmm. If you want an example of a low antimony, you would go to like uh, Remington Gun Club. They mm-hmm. sell those shells cheap and they're, they're not hiding and they're not embarrassed, Remington, because, and it's cheap because it's got low antimony. Otherwise, mm-hmm. all the components are the same as their high end loads. Okay, that's just my last clarification, Sarah. When you go sure. to long range clay target shooting, in the old days, I would have said uh, anything beyond 40 yards, old days, meaning 20 years ago, <clears throat> anything beyond 40 is long range. That's uh, crept forward now what I would say is anything beyond 50 is long-range. So I did a clay target-breaking test that I uh, published uh, both in a sporting clays magazine that doesn't exist anymore and on uh, a magazine that does, which is uh, the one you write for also.
1: Yeah, Clay Target Nation. Mm -hmm.
2: That's correct. Mm -hmm. And um, I tested shot hitting clay targets, they were, they were uh, white flyer. Uh, not spinning not spinning is the hardest way to break a clay target
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, they were either edge on, supported on a stick or they were dome on or think of it, bottom on so you got two different surface areas here and I tested three different pellet sizes, seven and a half, 8, 8.5 I took a one ounce load of Remington STS so it had really good shot and then uh, shot these clay targets. They couldn't move. They couldn't get away. They couldn't be missed. To see how many would really break if you were a perfect aimer with the best possible uh, pellet type, you know, pellet quality you could get in a lead load. And I shot it through uh, three different chokes, IC, mod, and full. Mm -hmm. Make a long story short, if you go back into Clay Target Nation April 2018, you can find the results of that test in a, in a, a little diagram. But if you're a beyond 50-yard shooter, or let's say you're beyond a 40-yard shooter, what the, the first thing I learned from the from the data, and you're talking hundreds of shots now, hundreds of mm-hmm. shots fired, is that nothing is going to do the job for 100% braking if you're a 100% aimer smaller than a number seven and a half. Mm -hmm. So the only way you can get 25 out of 25 without luck is to have seven and a halves for your shot size and lead, high Mm antimony. At 50 yards, it's already starting to drop off a little bit. Uh, Edge on, you can really only count on 23 out of 25, even with seven and a halves. And dome on, 24 out of 25. So by the time you get out to sixty and seventy yards, you've not only got to have these high antimony lead seven and a halves, you've got to have some pretty interesting screw in chokes, which I didn't have when I did my test.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, you get yourself some really tight, long range screw in chokes, and pattern test them with your seven and a halves, and what you're looking for. Is for your edge-on uh, pattern a minimum of 285 pellets in the 30-inch circle, and for your dome-on a minimum of 230. Uh-huh. And when you can find the choke tubes with those seven and a halves, that'll give you those minimums at those long distances. Now you're approaching 25 out of 25 again. You'll never get a 25 out of 25. You'll get like 23 out of 25 if you're lucky right. mm-hmm. from the technology. And then if you get 25 out of 25, there's an element of luck there. But that's the best we can do. But you've got to do the work to find the choke tubes that are going to give you that. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we go to hunting. So now most of our hunting, and wa- all of our hunting and waterfowl is supposed to be non-toxic, we don't need to talk about lead except as a reference. And so just remember this, that what counts in killing these birds from all of the x-rays and necropsies I did of thousands and thousands of ducks, geese, pheasants, doves, and now I'm starting on quail. But anyway, you have got to have a high-density pellet if you want a pellet that kills well beyond 45 yards.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So lead was an 11 density pellet, okay, mm-hmm. and um, the only thing that comes close to that these days would be if you bought heavy shot. That's a 13 dens- uh, Excuse me, 12 density pellet. That's a little higher density than uh, lead. That's good. Another one that's good would be matrix which is um, almost an 11-density pellet. And then another one to look at would be, let's see, I'm looking at my table here of stuff I've tested. It will come to me. There's various tungsten composite pellets. One of them is called heavy weight, which you can only buy for reloading. Mm-hmm. And that's a 13 density pellet. So that's step one. Step two is now you've got to have a choke that will deliver a high density pellet. And I have a lethality table that I uh, built from the data from all of these shooting tests, and copyrighted this table, which is it's not in any of the it's not published by any of the states down where you are because they were never part of the program the worldwide program that funded all of this research. But you mm-hmm. can go to things like um, North Dakota or South Dakota or Montana's Fish and Game website, and you'll find my, uh, my lethality table on that website. And it'll tell you for all these different body sizes of waterfowl, and for pheasants, and for turkeys, and I forgot about the turkeys, and for doves, and for quail, All of the test data show you need for minimum pattern counts at whatever distance you're shooting and what shot sizes of steel or shot sizes of heavy shot or the equivalent of heavy shot you would need for kills on those birds if you can deliver those pattern densities.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And that will give you 95 out of 100 times if you hit the target a dead bird within 30 seconds. That's what's in the lethality table. So you've got to have this, the effort to study the table to pick the ammo smartly. If you're going to shoot 40 yards or under, this becomes way less critical because it's, your pellets are retaining more energy the closer to the gun they are mm-hmm. because when pellets come out, regardless of what they're made out of, They're always slowing down because of the resistance of the atmosphere. And because they're a pellet, they're roundish. And some of them are not real round. (laughs) They slow down really fast. Mm -hmm. So like our world is a 70-yard world, let's say. We are a 20-yard to 70-yard hunting machine, sort of like archers. Uh, maybe archers can't get to 70, but we're we're constrained like archers because of the nature of our projectiles. And um, so, 40 yards, you know, 30 35 yards or less is simple. I mean, almost any any load and shot size will get the job done within reason.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, once you get to 40 yards and beyond, now you've got to be a smarter guy, picking your chokes much smarter and pattern testing to see if you can reach those pattern minimums in my lethality table. And if you don't take the time to pattern test, uh, you'll never know. And it'd be like a guy going deer hunting and he never sights in his rifle.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, a guy going so, turkey hunting and I mean turkey hunters probably shoot more targets than Any type of hunter, because they're trying—they're literally trying to turn a shotgun into a rifle, if you will. I mean, those pellets so tight, so they do test.
2: But the world of of guns—that's very good. The reason is because just what you said—it's like rifle shooting. And those rifle guys—you're not going to run into hardly ever a rifle guy who isn't a guy who's out there sighting in his rifle, trying to get the best possible bullet, trying to get the smallest group at the range he needs. These guys work at it. Mm-hmm. So does a turkey hunter, because he's got the little little Mickey mouse size head and neck, spinal cord. That's his target. And he have got to work at it to get a really good, dense pattern there. Whereas our shotgunners are just sitting back, assuming I don't need to do this, there's hundreds of pellets in the shell. I'll just buy this magic choke, and it'll be good. I'll be good to go. Yeah, you're good to go, but the wounding losses from that is bad to go. And that's the thing that we've got to watch, in my opinion, if we're going to be hunters. And we have a responsibility to harvest this resource as efficiently as we possibly can. And to keep wounding losses down. And wounding losses, when observed by the non-hunting public, will be the thing that does end our hunting in the future if we're not really careful about it.
1: Well, then there's a lot of truth in that. Now, Tom, I'm going to... Uh, do a little quick break here, but when we come back, I'm going to switch gears with you a little bit. I know you're really big into load development, and and I want to talk a little bit about uh, you know about the importance of the different components in a shotgun shell. Wide being one of them, because that's a big deal with you. So hold on just a second. Let let me let me take care of a little bit of in-show business here, folks. This segment of the show is brought to you by my good friends at Negrini Cases. You know negrini has been making gun cases for more than 35 years, and good chances if you've got a, if you've got a Krieghoff, a Perazzi, a Browning, a Beretta, a Blosser, a Benelli, you know whatever, any of those kind of really nice guns negrini probably made that case but you know the one thing that they do they've got a custom line of cases too and that's what marty uses and those negrini custom cases are tsa and in and international approved for air travel uh, they are they're lighter than uh, aluminum probably 65 percent lighter than aluminum but every bit is strong so do yourself a favor Go take a look. This is especially if you do any traveling. Go take a look at cases.com I'm sure you'll find something in it there that you like. I can promise you that uh, all of those cases are just phenomenal. They're made in Italy. They're rich Italian leather. The upholstery is beautiful. But the one thing they do is they protect your guns. negrinicases.com. Okay, Tom, back with you, buddy. Um, as I said, I know that you, you are... A meticulous kind of guy when it comes to getting it right, and one of the things that you would spend a good bit of time on in your career, uh, once you started doing load development, is 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 wide development, and I, and nobody really thinks about that. I talk a little bit about that because that that's a bigger part of this process than most people think.
2: Are you you're saying the load development yeah. part?
1: Yeah, on your load development, um, you know, you're, yeah, you're okay. big into wads and stuff like because you, you actually do some, some wad development and things. That, uh, talk a little bit about why that's important. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, once again, it's all about starting out with a dense pellet. Then it's all about keeping it as round as you can. And part of it, of keeping it round, is to have a wad that's going to cushion it, cushion the shot, when the shell fires, plus contain all the shot to keep the outer pellets from ever touching the inside of the barrel. So some wads do that and some wads don't. The ones that the shot cup isn't deep enough, then all those pellets sitting on the top of the shot cup, uh, they're they're really vulnerable to deformation. So they they will never pattern really well. So the first step is you've got to pick, I don't care whether it's a a non-toxic load or a lead load, you want all the shot in the shot cup or the shot wrapper, as the case mm-hmm. may be. Mm-hmm. Okay, secondly, you want, you're looking for a good cushioning section underneath that shot cup so that the setback, it's called setback, when those pellets crush against one another when the shell goes off, that setback is minimized. That's the cushioning section's job. So you want to see some little accordion post down there or a fiber wad, or something, That's going to compress when that shell fires. That's super critical. The next thing you want to become aware of is the faster the velocity you pick to shoot, you're automatically harming your pattern quality, particularly at long range. So even if the pellets came out of the shell perfectly round, a 1,500-foot-second shell is never going to pattern as well as a 1,200-foot-second shell. Mm-hmm. no matter what shot type we're looking at. So all you're doing is building more air resistance, and it's pushing those pellets off slowly from the flying straight. It's pushing them off at a greater angle, the higher your velocity, because you're increasing the air resistance against the pellet. So this is the horrible thing about a pellet. The faster it starts out, the faster it slows down. And the faster it starts out, the poorer it patterns. Those are the two things you want to keep in mind. So what what I've learned from these thousands of birds that you guys shot, not me, in these tests, is that a sensible velocity for your lead loads is uh, that will kill birds now for hunting birds with lead, which you still can on upland birds and Turkey, Mm -hmm. would be 1,200 to like 1,250 foot seconds. That's Mm -hmm. all you need. That's all you want. And anything faster than that, you're fooling yourself. And the physics will not support it. If you're a sh- steel shot shooter uh, or a uh, heavy shot shooter or any of those kind of hard pellets that are basically non deformable, uh, the only reason to have a higher velocity is because, like, steel is a lower density. It's only 9, mm-hmm. 9.5. Right. So they jacked up the velocity to kind of compensate for that. But what I found in all my testing was 1,300. To about 1450 at the very most, is all you need for steel or any of those other non-toxic pellets. You get higher than that, and you get lots of poorer patterns. They're not going to kill any better, because why? Because they're slowing down faster. Mm-hmm. So all of that increased velocity does, do you, does you some good out to about 40 yards. But after 40 yards, it's almost all gone away from air resistance. So, so it's just uh, self-defeating to go to those high blood. And that's a big fad right now. And you'll see before you're in the grave, that fad will die and we'll be back to more reasonable velocities. Your manufacturers still make some reasonable velocity loads, but they got a lot of these. Let's compete with each other. Let's see, you can have the fastest loads, because that's what these guys are buying lately. Uh, mm-hmm. You got a lot of that right now, so you want to be but careful in your load <laughs> selection so But they
1: don't have this. They don't have the data that you <laughs> that you have to support the differences. <clears throat> hey Tom, we've got just a couple of minutes, and I and I want to I want to let people know uh, how to get in touch with you, and you actually do some development and some loading and things like that. So give me just just one second here, uh, folks. The last segment brought to you by my buddy, Jack Homer at ESP, that's ESPamerica.com. You know, uh, I've been wearing ESP hearing protection for more than two decades now, and I have not lost any of my hearing, and I already, it was already bad when I started wearing it from all the shooting, but it has not changed at all, and they are absolutely great. You know, you can hear Loud sounds when you want to by turning them up, but anything over 90 decibels, it just kind of puts it on mute, and uh, and your hearing is protected, and you don't get any damage. Check them out, ESPamerica.com. I think you'll like what you see in there. Uh, I use the Stealth model. Give that one a look, ESPamerica.com. Tom, we got a couple of minutes left. Uh, you had mentioned that you know you do some do some loading and things like that for folks. Um uh, Tell us a little bit about that real quick and how people can get in touch with you uh, to get information and things of that nature.
2: Well, if they have shotgunning questions, I answer any shotgunning question for free, the first one. And then after that, I have to charge a consulting fee because uh, it just keeps going on and on. One question leads to another, another, another. So anybody can contact me by sending me an email. Hmm. Here's my email address. Tom Rosser, T-O-M-R-O-S-T-E-R, at Charter, C-H-A-R-T-E-R, dot net. Mm -hmm. They can call me on the phone. I'm not hiding. Uh, My phone number is 541-884-2974.
1: That's All right, hey, Tom, we're, we're up on it, buddy. I, I, I am out of time, and they're going to shut us off. So, <clears throat> you got okay. those numbers, guys, and that email, Tom. Thank you. I'm going to have you on again. We have got a lot more to talk about if you don't mind. You I want to it have anytime you, you want them. Okay, buddy. Listen, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Great show. Great information. We'll see you next time on Wing Clay Nation. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation. Please join Marty again next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until next week's show, think safety first and good shooting.